Hello, my name is Eric LeMay, and you're listening to the Literature Channel on the New Books Network. Today, I'm talking with Shaleen Knight. She's written a new memoir called Dear Current Occupant. And, as her title suggests, it's a letter of sorts, one written to those people who might now be occupying one of the many places she and her family lived back when she was growing up in downtown Vancouver's east side. And in this sense, her memoir is a map of the city, allowing us to see into lives and loves and struggles we might otherwise never see. But Dear Current Occupant is also a letter to Knight's younger selves, to the girl and eventually young woman who lived in these places and who struggled to discover who she was and who she could be. The result of this correspondence is a rich, and multifaceted account of what it means to become a strong writer and, in Knight's words, a strong black woman. Knight's book combines poetry, prose, maps, photographs, and other media to tell a singular story that could be told in no other way, to make visible what she calls the cracks in the narrative, which, in the end, hold the truth of her story and perhaps of her very self. Shaleen Knight, welcome to the New Books Network. Thank you so much for having me. You are the author of a new book, Dear Current Occupant, and it is rich and multifaceted in so many ways. And one of the challenges, the happy challenges that I've had in talking to other book lovers about it is just describing the book. You know, I'll say, I'm reading this great book, and they'll say, well, what is it? What is it about? And then I immediately find myself starting to say something and then I feel like, no, I'm, I'm not doing full justice to it because there's all these dimensions. Um, if I just say what the content is or if I just say that it's poems, no, that's not quite. Well, prose, no, that's not quite right. Well, no photographs. So, so how do you describe this work um, when people ask you, well, what is this book? Yeah, I, I pretty much describe it as a hybrid memoir, but I totally get where you're coming from, because I struggled myself to figure out how to describe this book. And so I always talk about the structure, because I feel like that's the aspect of the book that really stands out. And that's what makes it this unique, almost like an artwork, like a piece of art. And that's sort of how I how I pieced everything together was I needed this to exist in a certain way, I needed all of the pieces to be stitched together in a certain way. So so tell us about the necessity behind this. Like, why couldn't this book just be a memoir in prose or a collection of poetry or photographs with captions or maps with explanations? Like, why did it need to be a hybrid of all of them? What does that hybridity do for the material that couldn't be done another way? I, I would say that that relates to memory and the brokenness of, of memory. So there were a lot of gaps uh, in the book. You'll notice there's a lot of white space. And that's re- really me trying to mirror that idea of the broken memory. So I did try to write this book in prose, just prose, chronological. It did not work. And I was really, really stuck because I kept stumbling upon the blank pieces. And so I thought, well, you know, maybe I'll try writing this book in poetry because that's what I do best and that's what I love writing and that's what I've been reading a lot of and I found that I was not being truthful when I was writing in poetry so it was almost as if I was trying to hide in between the layers 
And so I felt like I needed to have a, a, a miss, like a mix and match sort of book where I, I take all these pieces and I stitch them together so that I could recognize when certain aspects of my story needed to be fully fleshed out in, in prose and also still include the pieces that needed to be a little bit more general or that needed to be just visual. So I really needed to create a house for myself, which is kind of ironic because I'm writing to all these these different occupants of these different houses. That that is an amazingly rich characterization that that the book is a house and you know the one of the major threads of the content of the book is about constantly being uprooted, constantly moving to a new house. Um, so to bring those two things together, does that does that feel right? Is the book in some ways a shelter yeah, for the I self that's being written about? 100%. And you know, when you you move that much, you never really put down roots. So you never actually have this stable house. And so I didn't actually realize I was doing that at first that I was building my own house. But when I started to look at all the pieces, I'm like, that's exactly what it is. I'm, I'm building a foundation. And I'm, bu- I'm building solid structures on top of that. And then I'm draping the narrative across it. And so once I realized that that's what I was doing, the writing came fast and furious because it had the right house. It knew exactly where to go. Like I pictured pouring liquid into a mold and the liquid knows exactly where to go. It's reaching all the corners and all of a sudden everything is even, you know? So that's kind of how I, how I looked at it when I was constructing. That, that makes wonderful sense for me as the reader. Um, because I found myself with each new component, whether I was I was reading a sonnet or looking at the map or seeing these photographs or reading the essays um, that were more memoir, each one would kind of filter into the next one, almost like I'm entering into a new room in the house, but it's because I've been in these other rooms that this one makes sense. Um, just to give you an example of the photographs, you know, you made the choice you have these photographs of places that you've lived, but they're very unpeopled, right? Most of them are just the architecture. Mm -hmm. And so what I end up doing is projecting in the narrative and the the narrator into those those unpeopled photographs. And suddenly they become so rich um, in ways that I don't know if they would have had they not had the other components of memoir and poetry next to them. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a really interesting thing to hear for me because a lot of people ask me about the photographs and they say, why did you have that photo of just a piece of the fence or a piece of the window or, you know, it's really fragmented. But again, that mirrors the memory. And it also speaks to being a young girl and the the way you remember things and the way I I remembered houses was by these bits of, of architecture. So one of the houses Uh, a black and white house, I remembered it as having this origami folded kind of roof. And so that's the the image of that particular house that I wanted represented in the photos. And so I tried to picture myself as a young girl looking back at these places and zeroing in on the bits and fragments that I remembered. Because it's hard to have a complete picture when you've moved this many times and you're constantly carrying the bits and pieces with you. Could you tell us a little bit more about the way in which you reconstructed your younger self? Because I, I think right now we've been talking about the book in terms of this this consummate artistry that you brought to it in terms of structure and, and art, art, artistic arrangement. But it is also just a powerful and at times devastating 
portrait of what it means to be a young person living in poverty, moving from place to place, constantly waiting for the moment of pack your things. And and I think mm. one of the powerful, what lingers with me is just that feeling of being in that young, vulnerable self who just doesn't know what to expect. And it's it's really stunning. How did you get back mm. there? It was pretty easy for me to get back yeah. there. And I, 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 I talked a little bit about that before with a friend of mine. And what I came to realize was that that little girl was always with me. And I would see her pop up, you know, I'd be doing you know, writing something and she'd pop up in the back of my mind and I could see her. And I think that was that push to write this story because she was always hanging out with me, almost nudging me. And I look back at, you know, at being this young girl and I was so quiet. I wouldn't say anything. All of my communication was through writing. And so just even the thought of doing an interview like this, like now I'm really comfortable with it. But I picture that young girl trying to speak and to tell her story. It never would have happened. So that had to happen through the page. So I basically just started listening to her. And I started to get the words on the page in the way that she would have said them as that that little girl, not the way I would have written it as an adult. So it was kind of like leaping between worlds and going back in time and, and trying to let her speak instead of letting, you know, the Shaleen of today speak. So it was quite, quite the experience, a really interesting journey doing that. It does have the feeling of, of a psychology on the page and of of a young psychology, and yet you know that there has to be, you know, the adult craftsperson behind it, allowing that and mm-hmm. making that happen. Um, you say at one point toward the end of the book that you've been writing this book your whole life, and that even though it's it's a, your second book, you have a book before this, that in some ways it predates it. Can you tell us a little bit about the journey to this book? Oh, yeah. Yeah, my first book, Braided Skin, is all poetry. And I have one poem in that book that's actually called Dear Current Occupant. And it started from there. So that's a prose poem that I wrote and I included in my first book. But when I go back and read Braided Skin, it was that one poem that stuck out to me, the Dear Current Occupant. And I knew that that was the start of a thread. And so I started working on uh, Dear Current Occupant while I was writing Braided Skin. But again, it was too difficult for me to write Dear Current Occupant because I couldn't figure out how to write it at that time. So like I said, I struggled with trying to write it as prose, trying to write it as poetry. So I didn't yet figure out that house analogy for it. But yes, this book has definitely been in the works, I think, probably since I was a young girl. Like I've always wanted to write and I knew that I'd be writing about my life. And I knew that those stories would exist on the page in some way. So I feel like even as a young girl, I'm, I'm taking bits and pieces and tucking them away for later, keeping those bits of story safe because when you're moving constantly, you're always giving something up. And so I started to think like, what can I really keep that's mine that nobody can take? And I started thinking about my stories because if I don't tell them, then who knows what's going to happen to them. So it was really important for me to to have bits and pieces that I can fling into the atmosphere and have them exist, you know, forever. What a what a beautiful articulation of that. So so something like my goodness, Shaleen, this is so the the stories that you were telling yourself even at that time 
you knew that was what made you you as you move from place to place because there was really no other grounding principle exactly so it's almost like you feel like you're losing something constantly but really i was gaining bits and pieces of the puzzle and when i looked at it like that you know that's why when you read your current occupant you think wow my gosh why is this this girl why is this woman not angrier like why is she not more upset or sad but there's this really thick thread of love woven throughout dear current occupant because i i I started to realize that not only is my mother this super strong human being that was able to you know keep us safe through all of this all of these really tough times but i am also building something something is there's some kind of strength building in me because of this so as i would we would move, I would tuck bits and pieces of that, you know, and that's kind of, I think what pulled me through is that knowledge of having more pieces to the puzzle. So if I was losing something, I was still gaining. And it was just this really big epiphany almost. And to have that at such a young age, I think is, is pretty cool. Yeah, there is this sense, as you're reading the book, that here is someone who is destined to be a writer, despite tremendous difficulties um, that she's going to have to go through to do that. And and you're not the only one that sees it. Um, there are teachers that see it. Um, and there's just this sense of, you know, the book is a manifestation of this relationship with the page and with storytelling that that seems there from the start. Mm-hmm. And I think storytelling was key. And just having that that layer of support, like my, I think it was my sixth grade teacher who really saw that I loved writing. And that was the way that she could pull bits and pieces of information from me because I was not going to stand up in class and say anything. I was not going to ask questions. And so having her see that that's the way I communicated and then latch on to that way of learning really made me feel like I was this special human being in a way. And so filling up notebooks, like that was my thing. I remember we'd get one for the year and I'd have like 12. And it's just my scribblings and my ideas and my characters. But there's something about not only building a house and building a world, but there's something about building tools and and, and building characters and then putting them in the room together and sort of seeing how they interact. And that's what I really love about storytelling is seeing what happens when you put people in a room. So what's what surprised you when you began building this this house and and peopling it? I think what surprised me is that I it wasn't as scary as I was thinking it was going to be. You know, this is an emotional thing to go through to revisit all of these homes, but I was actually excited and happy as I was revisiting a lot of these memories. Like there was not a lot of sadness or re-triggering or, you know, kind of going into this dark place because now I've got to revisit it. It was almost like I'm flying above all of these houses now. And it's like the roofs aren't there and I can look into all of them. So it's almost like this place of privilege, which was really, really shocking to me because I was preparing myself to feel really low while I was doing this and it didn't happen. And, you know, sometimes I'll read from this this book and unexpectedly I'll get really upset or something will, will cross my mind. And it's not the content and it's not the history and it's not the memory that makes me upset. It's the thought of the future and what I could lose. And sometimes I'll read a piece and I'll picture my mom no longer being here. 
And that gets me really upset as I'm reading. So it's just so strange how how memory works and how trauma can can play a really huge part in the way we not only look back at our own history, but the way we approach the future. So, so fascinating to learn that about, about myself and about my process. Would you describe this as a narrative that's capturing trauma or written retrospectively about a trauma that had occurred in your life or a traumatic period? Or, you know, you use that term as you were giving this explanation. And, and right now, many, many writers are thinking about how to capture the traumas that they've been through. Do you see yourself as, as working in that vein? I think so. I think so. And and the one thing I would always advise writers who are looking to dive into writing their trauma is one, why do you want this to exist? Why do you want this story to, to live on? And how do you want people to engage with it? And so for me, I knew that the structure was going to be just as important as the content. And so I hope that when people pick up this book, that they can, it can resonate in so many different ways. So if someone else has experienced a similar situation of having to be uprooted constantly, they might, they might resonate to that. But I've had other folks who've read this book who have lived in the same house for 30 years, never had anything even close to this experience, but it still resonated with them. You know, I've had one person who lived in Vancouver her whole life and never saw the city in this way. So she gave me this little, this one liner that just stuck with me forever. And she said, you remapped the city for me. So now she got to see her own city through a different set of eyes. And I thought, my gosh, like that's what I wanted this book to do. So I think it's really interesting if you're going to write about trauma, you really have to think about how you want the world to engage with it because it's also really difficult to, to constantly talk about and to have some people not really understand the multi-layeredness of, of writing this this type of, of work. So really owning why you want to write this story and how you want want folks to, to ask you about it is really a very important step. And I think a lot of authors don't think about that until the book is already in the world. But I started thinking about it early because this is, it's a big thing to put yourself out there in this way. And I also feel like, People critique memoir a lot in a really with a really different lens than they would for fiction. And so I thought about that as well. Like people resonate to personal story and that's what, what gets people in the chair initially. But it's the way they talk about it that will live on. So I thought a lot about that before before hitting send on the final copy that I sent to my publisher. So lots of thinking. Mm. I, I was I was curious about about your readers as well, and, and it, so it's fascinating to hear about who you had in mind and how it was working, because I think in the discussions that I've looked up about the book, um, nobody's that I've come across has talked about it as also it, it's an epistle form, right? Like, dear current occupant, that's, that's the traditional letter. Um, so in some ways, it's this letter going out, and it has multiple letters within inside it in, in this really brilliant section. Um, and I'm wondering if, if that that form was part of your thinking about readership, that, you know, here are these dear current occupant, that, that someone's going to receive this, but there's, there's this layer of, it's, it's the, the letter that shows up in anyone's mailbox because they don't know who's there. Yeah, I'm so glad you asked me about 
about that. Not a lot of people ask about the title or the intention of the letters. And there's so many layers there as well. Like the, the biggest one for me is just that we constantly moved and I was always, always worried about our mail. It was the strangest thing. Like what little girl worries about mail? But I think it kind of ties into that temporariness where, again, if you're moving, then you don't know who lives in that house. So it's always this constant change. But also the idea of writing letters to these strangers essentially is me using my only way of communicating to say, I wanna tell you what happened in these, these houses, but one, I don't know who lives here now and I'll never be able to say this verbally. So I'm gonna write a letter. So that's me also paying respect to understanding the way that I communicate and and putting that on a pedestal as well. So I loved the idea of writing these almost anonymous letters, but just giving someone else a glimpse into a world. Because I always think about what, what stays when you move. You know, it's the same thing, the paint, the structure, all of that stays the same and the memories are still there, but nobody can see them. And so it's kind of me just giving this little burst of here's what happened in this house. That's wonderful. That's wonderful. It's it's one of the the things that I was amazed with about the book. I mean, the way I articulated it to myself is there are all these places, and you have photographs of some of them from the, the east side of Vancouver, where a lot of North Americans would drive by and not know anything about the life in there. It would be the kind of place where a dear current occupant would live because it turns over so quickly. And instead, what you've done within the the pages of this book and the pages of this letter is flushed out the full, rich and complex life of the person or people that might be living in those very places and creating a, a whole different capacity for awareness as a result of reading it. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a big part, too. And even just looking at why this book exists in, in this particular form, because I, when people flip through, and they see the photos, they see, oh, okay, this looks like it's probably poetry. Oh, there's a weird map there. Okay. But I really think it's important that we, as readers, start to look at, at different ways of storytelling. And that was a, a that's a big reason, you know, why I like to to kind of push the idea of hybrid form, because there's so many other writers who want to tell their personal stories, but feel like it will never fit that traditional memoir template, or it'll never fit that traditional, here's what we expect a memoir to look like from, from cover to, to end. And so doing this, you know, is kind of like, I hope that other people feel empowered to tell their stories and feel that they don't have to squeeze into that tight template that you can kind of create something malleable for yourself. And that's really, you know, the biggest takeaway I think from, from my book is to inspire other folks to be able to, to tell their stories authentically. Yeah. And I would add that you are also acknowledging that you're you're putting yourself in a tradition with with writers like Audre Lorde, whom you quote at different moments. Um, but the, this, you know, you're saying, here are the writers that helped me tell my story. And now here I am, hopefully helping you to tell your story. And, and so there's this kind of sense of, of generosity and generation taking place within the book. 
Mm-hmm. No, I really am glad you brought that up as well. And I've, I'm constantly citing people who, who've inspired me. And I think that that's really important to do, whether you're, you're citing someone formally, or you're just saying, hey, you know, this person made me think about this. It's really important to put that out into the atmosphere. And so I think when I read a book, I never take the full book and say, oh, this is everything in this book is incredible. It's usually something small that that I connect to. And I think that's fair when you look at a hybrid work, you're not going to connect to the entire book, but there's going to be something in there that embeds itself in your brain. And so when I'm quoting Dion Brand and Audre Lorde, it's those bits and pieces of their work that embedded themselves in my brain that I couldn't shake loose. And so it's really important for me to to cite them and to say, hey, this was lodged in my brain. And that's probably why I was able to write this section or this piece where it sort of made me think differently about the way I mash the the visuals together. So it's really, really um, a collaborative effort, I think. And so often we don't we don't cite people in that way. And I think it's really important to do that. Yeah, I think that that the whole idea that those of us who create books, we're creating them out of community. And sometimes our, the people who are in our community, we've only ever met them on the page. And sometimes they're, you know, people that we're in contact with on social media or face to face, but that that's such an intrinsic part of it. And then it gets the publishing world, it often gets eliminated and it becomes just here's this solitary author writing this book. And so your inclusion of that, I think, is very generous um, and I think enabling There's another element that's very similar to that, which is you made the decision in this book to also talk about kind of the the current state of the literary scene. Um, And you have some essays on what it means to be a Black woman writer and what it means to write at a moment where diversity is a very double-edged sword in terms of of what it accomplishes, but what it might also be doing. Um, But to say it succinctly, right, this book also thinks about its place within the larger world of books um, as part of the book itself. Could you tell me a little bit about that choice? Because often, you know, a book will come out and then it's the literary world that sort of talks about its its place and, you know, where to shelve it and, and what it's doing. <laughs> but you, you kind of, you know, in some ways got ahead of it, but in other ways, that was an important part of the conversation to have with within the book, to have us as readers thinking about your thinking about the book and yourself as a writer. Yeah, that's a big, big part. And just thinking about how, you know, if there's a book that's, kind of labeled as trendy or hot or, you know, memoir is hot right now or trauma is hot right now. And it's sad to have those conversations, but that's the reality. And you often second guess the reason why you're being invited to an event. You second guess the reason why your book made a list. You second guess the reason why you're on this panel. All of these things come into play because that's the reality of the publishing world. But you have to stand strong, I think, in in the work that you do. So it was important for me to include, you know, the essays on how I felt being in the the current publishing climate, because I knew that writing a book like this would be tough in terms of publishing, because where are they going to put it? How are they going to market this thing? Like, is it a memoir? Is it poetry? So it was important for me to understand the industry itself and realize that, sure, I might have to say 
you know, that I have to go with a smaller publisher because I know what happens in the room, in the marketing, in the sales meetings, in the big publishing houses. I know what they're talking about. And I know that it's numbers and that it's it's categorization and and ease of, of placement. I know that those are the conversations that, that take place. And so I have a big decision. Do I want to write a traditional commercial memoir because I know it'll be discussed in those rooms or do I stay true to the authenticity of my story, realize the house that it needs and build it? And so that's what I did. And it's really important that I mentioned that I, I was very aware of the struggle of, of, of getting this book into certain hands, but I did think a lot about it. And I, I knew the hands that I wanted to be wrapped around it. And I think it, it's, it's done pretty well so far, you know, just kind of coming in with that internal knowledge, I think has really, really helped me, uh, talk about the book and market the book and helped my publisher as well. And they did an amazing job, you know, getting this, this book out into the world. Well, and it, it sounds to me to, to wrap back to a term that you used in, in discussing it, that the choices you made to create the book as you did were finally about the authenticity of your story, which has to be what's at the core of its power. Um, you know, at, at the beginning of the interview, you had talked about the fact that if you had started writing it in a traditional way, that might have might have done better for certain editors and certain publishers and big publishing houses, that it wouldn't have been as true. Um, and that instead, it was about not letting these gaps take place, but finding a form that could catch them all. Um, and I, I'm wondering if you could tie that back to a phrase that comes again and again in the the book, which is the cracks in the sidewalk, right? Mm -hmm. That there's this, you know, you had said you didn't want anything to fall through the crack. And so that's why you have the structure that you have. And the, especially the young, the young girl in the, the book, she has this relationship to the, the cracks in the sidewalk. They're both, they're, they're, they're present and they're, they're things that might disappear. And it's this, it's this image that, that does a lot of, rich work for the book and i'm curious how how that image worked for you as you were creating it and imagining how the material would would re, you know react with your reader mm -hmm. yeah the cracks in the narrative and the cracks in the sidewalk were two really big present phrases that i kept with me throughout and the biggest aspect that i just i couldn't let go of was that idea of bigger picture scope of the publishing world that I'm constantly having to squeeze into cracks because maybe there's not a spot for me, you know, in a traditional sense. So I'm, I'm constantly writing myself into the narrative. And I talk a lot about that because so often, again, we're presented with this template and I'll look at that template and immediately be able to say, this is not for me. So I can either give up or I can find a space to squeeze into a crack because there's a crack in everything. There's always going to be a spot where you can wedge yourself. And so I look at the way I enter the publishing world in that way. I find those spots and I say, this is exactly where I want to be. And I'm just going to shift this over here a little bit. I'm going to move this here. And then I'm filling in that, that crack with something beautiful. And so we have something that's seemingly, you know, a little bit broken. And all of a sudden we've filled it with something really, really nice. And this works as a whole now because someone was willing to allow me that space for however long, but just give me the chance to wedge in and see how everything fits. And so I, I approached the book in the same way where there's lots of cracks and holes and gaps, and some of them need to be 
you know, filled with this beautiful gold and other spots need to remain empty and blank. And there might be this threat of something falling through, but maybe it needs to. And so it was a lot of suturing and stitching and, and filling. And yeah, it, it was a really tough process now that I, I think back to, to doing it and not tough in an emotional way, but tough in a construction kind of a way, because I had to think about each and every space and gap and rewalk those sidewalks with that that lens. Was this a, a book where the pieces moved around on you a lot in draft? You had said earlier that that a lot of the writing came very quickly once you had figured out the the general form or the the permissions that you were going to give yourself to use these different different media and genres. Um, but I can imagine then different ways of putting poems and images next to each other or something, you know, was there a lot of wrestling with that or, or was that, did that come together as well fairly quickly? Yeah, everything moved around a lot, but again, I think that's the really fun part about writing this kind of, of book because you get to spread all your pieces out on the floor, which you can't necessarily do with a chronological piece because you're looking for time markers and all of that but for me it wasn't about what happened when it was about how do I want the reader to experience this story with every turn of the page and so I knew that I didn't want the photos to be right next to the poem that it's it's talking about so I wanted to have all the photos together because that was also the idea of filling the cracks in the narrative was to have the visual so it's like now you've got all these fragments and these bits of stories now you can match a visual to them and i want you to try to figure out where these places are i want you the reader to figure out why i took a picture of this small window and try to match it back to one of the stories right this is the way i had to piece my life together i want the reader to be able to experience it in that that way too I, I think my experience of that was that the book was very invitational and generous in that it was, there's room for you to bring your imagination in here and begin piecing things together. Um, not just that I'm going to have the authoritative version and, and give it to you and ask you to accept it as is, but instead, you know, you, ha you work with these images, you look at this map and see how the visual image maps onto this maps onto my memory. And, and mm -hmm. so it resulted in me creating a lot more, I think in my head um, or taking what you'd given me and, and amplifying it or in fleshing it um, in ways that I don't think a traditional structure would have. Mm -hmm. I think that's important too, because it's almost like you get two different experiences. You get the experience that I'm giving you, and then you get the one that you're creating. If you decide to do that work and go back and look and approach the story in a different way once you see the visuals or once you get to the essays. And so that's really, I think, the beauty of, of writing in this way, but it's also a gift, you know? So we go back to that idea of generosity in, in the way that I cite people, but I see the book in the way that it's presented as a gift to the reader. And that's something I also thought a lot about because I've, I feel like this is not only my story. You know, there's so many people that may have gone through these, these same things, but who knows if the city kept them safe in the way that I feel like I was kept safe. So I think a lot of these stories could have ended up in a lot darker places. And it's just having this almost invisible 
protection around me that I still to this day can't really figure out how, how it happened. And so this is like my, my way of giving back. And so when I won the Vancouver Book Award for, for this memoir, I was so thrilled because it was almost like the city recognizing um, everything. And so it was just this really nice book ending to, to the story being out in the world. Yeah, there are moments when the the young you, the the girl in the the narrative, is just a hair's breadth away of of being a victim from a predator and over and, and over. Um, could you tell us a little bit about this landscape? I mean, I can imagine a lot of listeners won't know the topography of Vancouver. So this is about Vancouver's downtown east side. Can you tell us about that urbanscape? So who are mm-hmm. the people whose stories you're telling? Or who are yeah, the people there's, who's, there's... who might not have had the chance to tell the story that you were able to? Yeah, and there's there's so many people, you know, like I had a lot of neighbors who had young, young daughters. And I think there was almost this unspoken understanding. So even just seeing each other, if there's something in the eyes where you can look at someone and say, you know, hey, I, I share something with you without ever having to say it. So I think a lot about that. But there was a lot of, you know, blink of an eye moments where something could have went terribly wrong. And so that's why there's also this this thick layer of love throughout the book, because you see this, this woman navigating all of these rough circumstances. So there's violence, there's, you know, drug use, all of this happening. But then there's this moment of clarity you know, I, I, and it was really important for me to write the line where there was, you know, a hint, just a small hint at someone asking about me as a young girl and, and hearing my mother say, no, that's my daughter. And whatever conversation happened before that or after that, I didn't get to hear. But it's interesting that it was that one line that I heard and that I remembered. And that's the bit that I tucked in my pocket. And so seeing that moment of clarity and experiencing that and knowing that this woman, no matter what, will never cross these lines was that idea of safety. And so, you know, a lot of my fear melted away just because I, I heard that that line. And you think it would be terrifying, but it was super reassuring, you know, and it took me forever to to figure out why I kept that piece. But that's why I included that that section in the book, because I wanted that that layer of safety and security to also be aligned next to the fear and the insecurity and the moving around. And, and I think one of the, the threads of, of love that, that blooms at the end of the book is that the end is, is much different than a, a listener might expect, you know, of someone who, who made it out of, of, of very troubling circumstances, you know, is she going to be the kind of person that wants to have a house, that wants to fall in love, that wants to have children? And it's it's not in terms of content as much in the book, but at the end, you start to see the woman in the book finding her own way towards towards these possibilities, towards the love that manifests from them. Um, and it's it's very moving because it's both... In some ways, it's unexpected, but then you see, no way, you know, the love of the mother was there earlier, and here is this woman who was once the daughter now becoming a mother herself, and there's that love again. Mm-hmm. I'm so glad it, it, folks are picking up on that, because that love is there, and the love that my my mother throughout the book is displaying, you have to look a little, a little deeper to find it, and that was my 
attention. I want you to have to look for it the way I had to look for it. And as a young girl and a teenager, you don't always feel that, you know, you think, okay, well, this person, like, this is terrible. I wish I was in a different situation, but you have to step back and look for those bits and pieces and stitch those together. So I think my brother and I, we had very different views of our upbringing, um, and, and just dealing with that in very different ways. So for me, writing was key. And at the end of the book, when I talk about moving out of the last house I remember um, and kind of leaving something behind, like I'm leaving my key wrapped in this, in this ribbon is also this kind of double-edged sword where here's a gift that I'm leaving you, but I'm also leaving this past behind and I'm going to move on and do my own thing. And I'm gonna do my own thing with strength and, and power and take all the bits and pieces of love that I've been able to extract from this, this experience and then put it into everything else that, that happens after I, I cut the string and I, I kind of untether myself from, from this. And so for me, it was a really, really big, massive move, but there's like this domino effect that happens after you, you remove yourself from the narrative. So I write myself into the narrative and I remove myself. So it's almost like a balancing act. So as you, you've talked about the fact, the, I think the fact of you removing yourself from the narrative at the end of the narrative, right? In some ways, here's the, the protagonist, the, the narrator, and she's, she's exiting this part of her story. Um, and you've said in terms of the book's reception that, that this story that you've told, this memoir that you've shared has had a really good reception in terms of winning the Vancouver Book Award and, you know, moving readers. So I, I'm curious of about where is, where is this writer going now? Um, in some ways, the, this book is a reckoning with the past. And so I'm wondering about the, the present and the future of yourself as an author. What books are ahead? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Lots of things on the horizon. I am actually, I've been working on a novel for, I guess, probably around the time this book, Dear Print Occupant, came out. So that's supposed to be done. The first draft should be done soon. And that's coming out with Book Hug. And the novel is set in Vancouver's Hogan's Alley, which was a, a, a highly concentrated Black community that existed in Vancouver from the 1930s to, I want to say, late 1950s. And so I'm writing, I, I place my characters in that, that time period when the, uh, that part of the, the city was, was, was happening. And so it's really interesting writing that and, and trying to walk through those actual, those, those, those neighborhoods that aren't necessarily there, but there's still pieces. So here I am still collecting fragments like I, I always do when I write. So that's my big, big, big project that I have on the go. I, I think that it, you know, it's worth maybe at this, this moment at the end, this won't be news to you, of course, but, but just sort of saying your first book was a collection of poems. Your second book is a hybrid memoir that includes multimedia and now you're about to finish a novel um that's that's a tremendous range and and display of talent i think that that you're going to be one of those writers that i don't know what, what they, would they call it like a multiple threat in multiple genres but you also see mm -hmm. the size of of the vision the artistic vision being manifested in in these different genres Oh, yeah. And I, I just love playing with form. <clears throat> so having fiction at my fingertips, I think, is really fun because it's a totally different hat and it's a really different mindset. 
And so I'm all about experience. And so when I'm writing poetry, I love to have background noise and music playing and all kinds of things happening. But when I'm writing memoir, I need to be internalized so I can have music, but it needs to be, I need to have headphones on. But when I'm writing fiction, it's like someone drops you in this black hole and expects you to figure stuff out. It's a really strange place, but I'm enjoying I'm enjoying the experience of, of being in that <clears throat> that dark room. So it's very, very fun. So I, I love writing in various forms just to see where it takes me. Well, I hope that when it comes out, you'll come back and speak with us. I would love to. <laughs> Shaleen Knight, thank you for being on the New Books Network. Thank you so much for your thoughtful questions. It's been awesome.